G'day Sports by Fry fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast coming at you early on a Friday morning, recording this pre-work before I welcome happily another weekend. Another Fantasy Friday means plenty of coverage around the associations, not a ton of NFL stuff to talk about as, as everyone's I'm sure aware the Super Bowl occurred on Monday our time or Sunday America time so NFL season is in the books now. I am going to run through the NBA waiver wire looking at the blokes you need to add, drop and watch as per usual and then there is a bumper AFL fantasy section dissecting all of the important midfielders. If you haven't checked out sportsbyfry.com in the last couple of days I did drop my other article. It's been a pretty lean week article-wise on Sports by Fry, but I did a couple of other Dream Team articles for the DT Talk Boys, so the article on the AFL Fantasy mid-prices is up, so make sure you check that one out. A couple of the blokes I'm going to talk about today as well, but without further ado, let's dive into today's episode. Like I said, there's not a ton of NFL stuff to unpack. I am going to start looking at some of the fantasy prospects in the draft, and then as the off-season occurs, depending on where people land, I'll talk a little bit about their fantasy impact of trades and free agency moves, etc. But I just want to, at the open, give a little bit of a teaser talking about Tom motherfucking Brady. Seven championships he now owns. There's a lot of talk and a lot of photos circling around asking if he's now surpassed Jordan, but... Jordan fans are obviously pointing out that Brady never had to play defense as well, but no matter which side of the coin you fall on, Tom Brady is an elite, elite athlete, arguably one of the greatest that we've seen, definitely one of the greatest of the 21st century. You could make the case that he's actually had three Hall of Fame careers, one in his 20s, one in his 30s, and now in his 40s, where he's probably made three, four, and three Super Bowls in that time. So I'm going to take this opportunity to give everyone the useless sports buy for a stat of the podcast. Tom Brady in the NFL has 264 wins, which is a huge number. And to put that into perspective, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers franchise has 288 wins since their inception. Obviously, Tom Brady started balling out in 2001. But the Bucs, they started their NFL tenure in 1976 which is pretty insane to think about. They actually didn't win a single game in their first season, and they got their first win in 1977, which was the same year Tom Brady was born. Mind blown. All right, let's do a lap around the NBA waiver wire. I don't want to take too long talking about this because there's tons of AFL fantasy stuff to get through, but the must-add this week is Hamadou Diallo from the OKC Thunder. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name too often in this segment, but... OKC's starting shooting guard. He's actually started in four of their last five games and looks pretty great. Most importantly for fantasy coaches, he's getting a ton of minutes, which is what you want to see. Currently, he's in 35.2% of teams, so there is still a lot of chance that he's on your waiver wire. If that's the case, I highly recommend going to grab him. Over those last five games where he's been getting 36 minutes On average, he's averaging 16.4 points, 8.2 rebounds, and 4.2 assists. So filling up the stat sheet in a lot of categories, I definitely recommend adding Diallo if you've got the space. 
probably not a lot of people that would view him as a must add, but I think he's going to keep getting a lot of opportunity in OKC. They're a really young team. Their head coach, I'm pretty sure his name's Mark Dagnalt or Dagnalt. He's uh, the player development guy formerly at OKC. So he's definitely invested in getting a lot of minutes into the young dudes. And I think Diallo, from a fantasy standpoint, can only get better. Marvin Bagley is the next cab off the rank. He's in less than half of ESPN fantasy teams, which surprised me. At the moment, he's actually the 14th most dropped player according to ESPN rankings. He has started in all 24 games he's played this year. So I think that some people who have dumped Bagley are probably overreacting a touch. There is still the possibility that he gets traded from Sacramento and a team that acquires him may want to play him a little bit more as well. Bagley's still getting it done solidly enough. In his last game, he had 17 points, 9 rebounds, and got to play 29 minutes, all of which were highs probably from the last fortnight or so. But he's hardly a scrub, and I was honestly surprised to see his ownership dip below 50%. There's probably more pressing players out there that you might want to snaffle, but I think Bagley deserves to be on a fantasy roster. And if you've got an underperformer that maybe you're looking at axing, you could probably replace them with Bagley. Jakob Bertel is the third and final ad recommendee. He's in 13% of teams at the moment, and that number is only trending upwards. Lamarcus Aldridge is actually out indefinitely, which is at least until Sunday, and they said on uh, the 9th of Feb, so a couple of days ago, when he got an injection in his knee to reduce the pain, that he's going to be out for the next four to five days. So at worst, Jakob Pertl's at least a good streaming option for the next week. He's someone that I personally have invested in in a couple of fantasy leagues, and he is a pretty good source of rebounds and blocks. In his last six matches, he's had 16 blocks, which works out to be an average of just over two and a half a game, and he's averaged 7.8 rebounds in that stretch as well. So defending the paint pretty solidly for the Spurs, he won't give you a ton of points, but he'll have nights like the one where he had 19 and 11 against the T-Wolves, so Pirtle is probably someone in deeper leagues you want to consider, but I still recommend considering the Spurs big man. To the drop candidates we go. First bloke I want to discuss is Terence Ross. In 32.8% of fantasy teams, outside of scoring, there's not a ton that Terence Ross provides, I'll be honest. He has scored 20-plus seven times this season, coming off the bench, which is pretty impressive, and there was a portion of the year where it looked like he was going to be in the sixth man of the year race, but he has, again, scored three... Uh, scored single digits rather in three of his last five, including actually a three-point game. He did have 22 points against Portland in their last match, so maybe there might be more pressing issues you want to address. And with Cole Anthony and Evan Fournier listed as day-to-day at the moment, Ross may perform well for the next game or two, but I still think he can be dumped if you're maybe looking at someone on the waiver wire to consider, potentially, the three blokes I just listed, Hamadou Diallo for Terence Ross, would be a swap that i definitely recommend. Next bloke, and this one again might be a little bit controversial like the Blake Griffin one was last week, I think you can go ahead and drop Stephen Adams. He's still in 82% of teams, but I think a lot of that boils down to a name, once again, that people like having on their teams. In the last three matches, Adams is averaging four points and four rebounds. I actually had to refresh the page when I was looking at his stats after their last game, and he hasn't really been dominating. It is worth pointing out, he had 20 rebounds in a game last week, so yeah, I can see some people wanting to hold Adams and hopefully 
keeping the glass half full approach. He had a triple-double earlier this year with 10 assists, but he hasn't really dominated in many other games and many other categories. He is shooting 47% from the free-throw line too, if you needed any other excuse to get rid of him. Unless you're clinging on to him just for purely for rebounds in a head-to-head category, like I said, he's not really getting it done in a fantasy point of view, so I would probably look at alternative options. Last one. This is pretty quick, but I think Nas Reed and Jared Vanderbilt of the Minnesota Timberwolves can go ahead and be released. If you haven't heard, Carl Anthony Towns is back. He made his return against the Clippers in their last match. In that game, it's worth pointing out, though, that Nas Reed had 23 points off the bench. I don't expect him to shoot 9 of 13 in 20 minutes every game, though. Nas Reed especially is in 25% of fantasy teams, and there's some people who maybe will want to give him another chance or two. Jared Vanderbilt, though, sitting in only 5% of teams. It's probably fair that you can axe him immediately. If there's a player, again, on the waiver wire that you're considering, snaffle them up immediately and get rid of one of those dudes. It might be wise just to keep hold of them if you're in a deeper league with Vanderbilt or if Nas Reed's getting it done for you. Maybe for at least the rest of the week, because obviously there's no opportunity, uh, there's no chance that Cat won't rest or potentially have a little bit of a reduced minutes roll as he makes his comeback. But by the time you're listening to this at the end of the weekend, it's probably time to get rid of both of them. The watch candidates. I'm watching very closely the New York Knicks point guard rotation. As it stands at the moment, now that they've traded for Derek Rose, he is their most owned guard, or point guard I should express, at 55% of teams. Alfred Payton's second cab off the rank with 25.3% ownership. And then bringing up the rear is Emmanuel Quickly at 17.4. I think with Emmanuel Quickly's consistency and the fact that now the Knicks have gone out and got Rose, he's probably third in that pecking order. And fantasy numbers are going to be inconsistent with rookies. And Quickly's now probably going to be fighting for more playing time against Rose as well. So I, again, have him sitting third out of the group. Peyton versus Derek Rose is an interesting one. Derek Rose had 14 points in 20 minutes in his Knicks debut, and then Peyton went out to drop 18-5-4 in that game, playing 27 minutes and drawing the start. I still think I rate Alfred Payton as the better fantasy player, but I want to keep a close eye on that trio. Might even be worth, if you're a Derek Rose owner, seeing if you can add Alfred Payton. That way, if one of them's out, or one of them's struggling, or Tibbs is favouring one than the other, at least then you can benefit from that player going well in a fantasy perspective. If you're a Rose owner, I don't think you need to overreact and dump him or do anything really, but I wouldn't be surprised if Peyton kept starting, at least for the foreseeable future. And again, I do rank him as the better fantasy prospect. So if you can't have uh, both of them, I would try and snaffle Peyton, then Rose, then quickly in that order. But keep a close eye on the next point guard rotation. We might be in for some uh, fluctuation between the three. The other watch candidate this week is Mo Bumba. JLo and I talked about Bumba, it might have been on the last podcast actually, and about how he hasn't been playing. He actually then, a few days ago, went and played the entire fourth quarter against Chicago. In the fourth quarter, he reeled off a line of 14 points, 7 rebounds, and 3 blocks, which is pretty impressive, but it is worth noting that it was in a big L for the Magic, and he was playing garbage time minutes. I don't know if you can go ahead and trust Bumba and add him. He's in 4.1% of teams at the moment. This is why he's in the watch section and not the ad section, but 
He could be another trade candidate as well. I don't really understand why Orlando isn't playing him more. And if his playing time does start to increase slightly, Mo Bamba offers plenty of value for fantasy coaches. Here we go. This is what the majority of the podcast listeners came for. Let's dissect the AFL fantasy midfield. I did the rucks last week and the forwards a fortnight ago. So today... I'm going through the midfielders. So I tried to cover the majority of the relevant dudes. There's some, obviously, I skimmed over because the midfield is shockers with talent. But I broke them down, once again, into the big dogs, value picks, and then rookies slash cash cows. So there is no bigger dog at the moment than Lockie Neal, priced at 935k. He's got a break even of 123 after his Brownlow winning season last year. Personally, I think that is way too much to pay up for Lockie Neal. There's no chance that, well, sorry, let me rephrase that. There is a chance he could go 120 plus with an average, but he's only gone over 110 for an entire season once before, and that was in the 2016 season with Frio. Again, the traders have kind of harped on how much playing time Lockie Neal got last season as well. I don't think he's going to replicate that this year. I, in fact, probably recommend someone like Hugh McCluggage, who I didn't actually talk about in this section. He offers a little bit more upside. Dane Zorko is a forward. The Lions have said he's going to play much more forward, but we've seen how he can tear a game open from a fantasy perspective. I think that coughing up 900 plus K for Lockie Neal, though, probably not the smartest way to use your money. Next up is Zach Merritt, who's pretty close to his average reflecting his best fantasy seasons. He's priced at $884 with a break-even of 116. He could be one of the best midfielders this year, so I don't hate the idea of paying up for Merritt. He is the second most expensive midfielder, though, and I thought he would have a little bit less ownership than being in 8% of teams. If that number does dip and he becomes a bit of a unique pick, I don't hate the idea of picking Merritt, but... Yeah, I don't know. I think he will be a top eight midfielder, so maybe you could pay up for him, but it's tough to justify using a lot of your coin to pay up for these dudes, including the next cab off the rank, Lockie Hunter. He's priced only two grand cheaper than Zach Merritt, so almost identical when you're coughing up this much dough. He was underpriced, I think, last year after struggling a bit in 2019, so it does, again, make it hard to justify paying up for him. He is a bit inconsistent when he comes to fantasy scores as well. He hasn't exactly lit it up year after year. There's been dips in his production. There's a couple of other Bulldogs that I'm going to discuss that I like a little bit more than Hunter. So my advice is probably not to pick him in the initial side. He is a great player when it comes to fantasy ceiling. And he's probably one of the guys that won't be too affected by Adam Trelaw's new presence in their midfield. But I think it's too much to cough up for Lockie Hunter in your initial sides anyway. Clayton Oliver's next. He's in a similar position to the other two. 875k he's going to set you back. A break-even of 115. I don't think I've actually ever had Clayton Oliver in my fantasy side. And I can't tell you why. He is somewhat handball happy. So I can see why that would scare some coaches off. But... The bloke's pretty capable of getting 40 touches, so if 30 of them are handballs, doesn't really matter. He's probably still going to get you 110. I think Clayton Oliver is, I want to put it in pencil because I don't want to go permanently on the record, but I think he's pretty safe to end the year as a top eight midfielder. There's only eight spots, so we've got to be careful how many of these I give out pretty quickly, but there's definitely a justifiable reason for picking Clayton Oliver this year. If he's your starting midfielder, like your M1, 
Go for it. I can see why people are picking Kletos. Taylor Adams is next, 873k. So again, only 2k difference from the previous bloke. Break even of 115, but I can now pretty safely draw a line through Taylor Adams. He has suffered a hamstring injury this week, and he is now in doubt for round one. Doesn't mean that he won't be the heartbeat of Collingwood's midfield after a great 2020 season. He won their best and fairest. Got an O'Neill Oz pick as well. And he has averaged 114 in the past. He did that back in 2017. So I expect Taylor Adams to push that 110 average once again. If he is in doubt for round one though, and he is going to be missing the Amy Community Series and not get as much a run to his legs over the preseason, I recommend at least waiting and viewing Adams as more of an upgrade target throughout the year. Andrew Gaff at 831k is up next. Break even of 109, and his huge time on ground percentage is one that I actually don't think will change a hell of a lot. He'll be, again, in the mix for a top eight midfielder. He's pretty consistent when it comes to production, good old Gaffy. Pencil him in for 110 plus each year, which is about what he's priced at, so you know what you're gonna get for Andrew Gaff. Personally, I view him also as an upgrade target throughout the year, but West Coast fans might wanna pick him in their initial side and Honestly, there's not a hell of a lot wrong with picking Gaff. You can't have all of these elite fantasy midfielders, like I've said, and one player whose ownership is starting to decrease is Tommy Mitchell. He's had his preseason interrupted a little bit as he recovers from off-season shoulder surgery. His ankle has been giving him grief over the preseason as well, so 823k is a lot to cough up for a player who has had an interrupted preseason. Break even of only 108 though, we've seen Mitchell go gangbusters over a fantasy season. If he's named round one and the inclination as we get closer to the start of the footy season is that Mitchell's going to play, then I don't know, it's going to be tricky to avoid because Tom Mitchell is underpriced based on his fantasy resume. I think though, given his niggles and injury issues, once again, it's probably wise to view him as more of an upgrade target this year. Adam Trelaw, currently now a Western Bulldog, is priced at only 812 grand, break even of 107, and I think he's at least gonna get that again this year. Of all the Bulldogs in that midfield, I think Trelaw is the one that we don't really need to worry about. He's averaged 107 in each of the past four full seasons. I think he'll slot straight in Again, in a similar vein as Clayton Oliver, he is a little bit handball happy, but Adam Trelaw is one of the best accumulators the game's got. So he's currently sitting in my team. Probably won't move this preseason barring anything crazy. So if you are considering Trelaw out of those Bulldogs midfielders, I think he's the one that you want to lock into your side. Sticking with the dogs, Jack McRae costs you nearly 50 grand more than Adam Trelaw, break even of 113. He went at an average of 90 plus last year and was one of the best players in the game. You could make the case for Jack McRae as the best fantasy midfielder going around. I'll, I'm that high on McRae. I don't know how he'll fit with Trelaw, but I think there's a, probably too much being made about his mix with Trelaw. I think Dunkley and Bontempelli, especially showing their potency around the forward line, are the two that will pinch hit a bit out of the guts more often. So that leaves Hunter, Trelaw and McRae to do a bit of the heavy lifting. And I think Jack McRae, even though his price tag is a little bit higher than some of the guys I've mentioned, not a terrible starting pick, to be honest. Whew, I'm nearly through all the big dogs. Next one up is Josh Kelly. 809k, he'll set you back with a break even of 106. I think pretty much that's where Kelly's gonna finish this year. Probably average around the 105-ish mark. The only reason you'd pick him is if you really think he can improve and be a top eight midfielder. 
I don't know how that's going to work for Kelly. He might be the smoothest midfielder in the game, throwing a lot of uh, praise around to these guys in the midfield. But I really want to squeeze Josh Kelly into my midfield. I love the bloke, but from a fantasy standpoint, I don't know how much value coaches are going to get. And he'll probably finish just outside the top eight midfielders, in my opinion. I could be wrong. Kelly is a gun footballer, but he hasn't really ripped a season open from a fantasy perspective. So some of the other guys above have shown a better scoring pedigree, and I think it's wise to invest in them over Josh Kelly. Last up is Tommy Rockliffe in the Big Dogs. I left him to last for a reason. So his break-even's 115, 873k he's going to set you back, which ranks him as one of the most expensive players going around to start the season. But given Tom uh, Rockliffe's scoring potential in the past, I can see why people would be considering him. He's only in 3% of teams at the moment. And this might sound weird to say, but can he go up and average an elite number again? He has averaged 134 in a season before, and he actually got dropped last year in round six. When he returned in round nine, however, he went on to score six tons in the final nine games. And considering we're playing reduced quarters, it's pretty impressive to note. He went at an average of 99.1 in that stretch, which, if you adjust that to full-length quarters, was 123.8. Feels weird, like I said, to ask if Rockliffe can do that again. 123-plus is a lot to average, but... If his body's right and Port Adelaide is successful again, maybe Tom Rockliffe will emerge as the fantasy goat. Let's dive into some value picks now. The poster boy of that uh, article that I alluded to, the value mid-prices going around, is Matty Rowell. If I don't really need to go into this. He's the most owned player at the moment. He's also technically eligible to still win the Rising Star. I had a look to see if you could combine his Rising Star odds with his Brownlow odds. He's paying... 17 bucks to win the Brownlow for what it's worth, but you can't combine them to get uh, increased odds. He's only a $1.30 favourite to win the Rising Star. Obviously, he's got a break-even of 75 at the moment. I expect him to be around the 100 mark at worst, so Matty Rao needs to be in your fantasy midfield, whether that's as an M4, M6, M8, depending on how deep you want to bat. Doesn't matter as long as you pick him. Tim Taranto's a little bit more expensive at 718k, but his 94 break-even is one that I think he can definitely go higher than. He only played 11 games last year. He dislocated his shoulder in the Marsh series and then missed the first couple of games. And Taranto's still only 23, so I'm super high on him this preseason. Like I said, Josh Kelly, I don't know how much improvement he can have. I wouldn't be surprised if Taranto went to 110 plus. He is the giant that I think could vie for top eight midfield potential. So given his starting price, he's someone I definitely recommend. Nat Fife is in a similar vein as Timmy Taranto when it comes to price and break even, but his value really lies in potential forward status. Does that mean you should pick him at the start? Probably not, but I can see why people are being swayed. Fife has currently been in and out of my team this preseason. Like I said, a break even of 95. I don't know if he can maintain that if he's not being a permanent midfielder. He might dip somewhere around the low 90s or maybe even be bang on that 95 mark. So again, in your starting side, a lot of people want to chase value. There probably isn't a ton of meat on the bone for Fifey in that regard. I could be wrong and he might slot back into the midfield and start chalking up more 105 plus averages, but... 
Probably with two Brownlows under his belt and a ton of injuries and nearing the age of 30, it's wise for Frio to use him a bit more as a forward and reduce the load on his body. So fantasy coaches might have seen the best from Fifey as a midfielder, but that doesn't mean he won't be an elite forward. Jackson Haitley is up next. 486k of the new Adelaide Crow will cost you, which is a break-even of only 64. For what it's worth, I went and adjusted the numbers from the 2020 season to reflect full quarters. So in Haitley's 13 games with the Giants, he went at a fantasy clip of 69.7 points. So obviously priced pretty close to that average. I expect him to go at least 80 plus. He had gun numbers as a kid. When he played in the reserves for the Giants, he was elite as well. There is a little bit of caution, I can understand. I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sold on Haitley's improvement, but I think if the opportunity comes from the Crows, he'll definitely push that 80 plus average. His new teammate Rory Sloan is up next. 100k more than Haitley Sloan will cost you at 580 grand. 76 break even. I'm even less high on Sloaney than Haitley. I think there is a little bit of injury risk with an inside rugged player that Sloaney is. He's had fractured cheekbone in the past. He broke his hand. He's dealt with little niggles and bits and pieces. He is a pretty tough unit though, so a break even of 76. I think that Sloan will push that back towards the 90s. Before 2018, when he started to have some of these injury issues, he was healthy and strung 21 or 22 games in most fantasy seasons, so he is truly underpriced. If you're a Rory Sloan fan and you've got him in your team, I can see why people are picking him. Stephen Cornelio costs a little bit more once again. He is 744 grand with a break-even of 98. I'll be honest, I've considered having all four giants in my team at one stage, Taranto, Cornelio, Josh Kelly and Lockie Whitfield. Usually two of them seem to go 120, 130 plus in a game. So if you've got all of them, at least you, you can throw a net over them and benefit from their huge scores. Cobbs will be out for revenge in 2021 after a pretty down year as GWS's skipper. So I can see him coming out breathing fire and increasing that fantasy average back into the 105 plus territory. I'll be honest though, I'm not a huge Cornelio fan when it comes to fantasy. Maybe it's because he burnt me a bit last year, like the majority of the fantasy community, but I still think Taranto and maybe even Josh Kelly offer a little bit more, not value, but fantasy potential than Cornelio. He is elite and will still have his massive games. From memory, he's got a 180-point game under his belt or something close to that. So Cogs is an okay pick if you want to justify it, but for me, not a huge fan. Luke Davies Uniac going back down to the cheaper end of the spectrum. He's priced at 522 grand with a break-even of 69. He's actually improved his fantasy game every year, has Davies Uniac, but can he stay on the park? That is the biggest question. Since he's been drafted, North have played 61 total games. LDU's only played a possible 30 of them, so I don't know if he's going to go out there and string consistent games together. As North goes through a little bit of a uh, rebuild and they kind of try to usher a new era in for their club, we could see Davies Uniac be the fantasy product and he may go out to average 80 plus. His body and his injury issues do concern me though, so I'm considering at least waiting on the start of the year and if he starts to fire early and it looks like his break even's going to dip and his fantasy ceiling's going to increase, Maybe you want to pick him. I probably have more faith in picking his teammate in Ben Cunnington, though. 503k Cunnington's going to cost you, sitting at a break-even of 66. He had back and quad issues that kind of 
gave him a lot of grief last year. And I'd happily invest in Cunnington with the expectation that the Roos will lean on him a little bit in their midfield. There's a couple of veterans. I mean, you wouldn't call Jai Simpkin a veteran, but Jed Anderson, Ben Cunnington, those guys will probably get a lot of midfield time as the Roos do usher in that new era. I'm going to talk about their two draftees in a minute, but Cunnington over Davis Uniac, I think, is the smarter route to go. Again, I'm not 100% sold on Ben Cunnington, though. He's been chopping in and out of my team this preseason, but given his 500 grand price tag, he's someone that I definitely consider. Turning my attention to the Blues, Patrick Cripps priced at 718 grand, exactly the same as Timmy Taranto, with a break-even of 94. Cripps has been plagued by some fantasy inconsistencies in the past, and I don't know if I can trust him, to be honest. He will probably go back up to 100 or 105 average, but there's not a ton of value there. There's a blueprint for the fantasy bull to be successful once again, but I really don't think I can trust Paddy Cripps when it comes to fantasy. I would much rather, I'm stringing a lot of teammates here together, I would much rather trust Sammy Walsh just for an extra 20 grand while she's priced at 97, which surprised me to see him cost more than Cripps. And I honestly don't know if I'll pick either of them, but I definitely see Sam Walsh as the candidate more likely to go 110 plus. Will he? Probably unlikely, but can he? Absolutely. So Walshy, for an extra 20 grand, probably offers a little bit more fantasy value than Cripper. Underpriced thanks to a couple of injuries, the next bloke I'm going to discuss is Dyson Heppel. 566k, he's going to set you back. A break-even of 74, which, given his fantasy history, makes him severely underpriced. From 2014 to 2018, Dyson Heppel missed just one game in the fantasy seasons, and he scored 100-plus in every single season, based on average. So if he is a candidate to get dual position as well, there's talk of him maybe training with the backman during the preseason. I don't really know if Dyson Heppel's wise to pick at the start of the year. I wonder how he's going to benefit from Andy McGrath's development. Dylan Shields, obviously, a gun in that midfield. I've already alluded to why I think Zach Merritt will be one of the best fantasy players this season. So don't know if Dyson Heppel can thrive from a fantasy factor with all those other dudes in the middle. He's definitely on my watch list, though. And if he gets dual position status and he's still a little bit underpriced, you can definitely justify picking Heppel. Angus Brayshaw's the last value bloke. He's actually 126 grand cheaper than his brother Andy, which... Almost blew my mind reading that. He's priced at a break-even of 79, 603 grand. He'll set you back. Can Gus Brayshaw recapture his best form? I put that down as one of the realistic goals this year. That was the Demons goal. I don't know, though, to be honest, if it's going to happen. His fantasy best might be behind him, but at a break-even of 79, I definitely expect him to be at least better than that this season. I could be wrong, and he might burn us all again, but... For those people who are viewing Gus Brayshaw as a value pick and wanted to roll the dice with him, he got more balls than me, but I don't blame you for doing it. Here we go, rookies and cash cows time. Let's dive into the number one rookie, in my opinion, in Will Phillips. North Melbourne picked him, pick number three last year. That's why he's going to set you back 266 grand in season 2021. I expect him to be the North draftee that gets games early, and hopefully, at this stage, fingers crossed, he'll be named round one. He's a complete midfielder, dominated at junior level. He actually did his best trying to stand out in a midfielder that boasted Matty Rao, Noah Anderson, Trent Bianco, Finlay McRae, a couple of those other dudes with the Oakley Chargers. 
Phillips wasn't looking out of place, and being a year younger than those dudes, it's pretty impressive that he was able to kind of stand out. Don't expect the same fantasy success in his rookie season, but having watched a little bit of him go about his business, he does have a touch of Sam Walsh about him. So I expect Phillips to be one of, if not the best cash cow this season. That's why he is currently the most picked rookie, other than, I think, Will Gould, maybe, who's sitting on a lot of uh, defences at 170k. He'll get uh, a wrap-up next week, though. Will Phillips, though, 33% of teams. That number will only keep increasing if he keeps dominating in the preseason, so go ahead and pick him if you haven't already. His teammate, Tommy Power, probably won't be able to string the same games together at the start of the season, but I hope I'm wrong. He didn't play any senior footy last year, played in the under-18 Sandful competition, but in the 15 games he played in the Sample comp, he went at an average of 118.5. He had three scores over 150, including a mammoth game where he scored 174 fantasy points. And he went on, I think he had 46 touches, 10 clearances, couple of goals. So Powell is easily a fantasy must-have if slash when he does get named. I don't know if that'll be early on, but when he does get picked, he's definitely worth adding to your fantasy lineup. A little bit dearer than both those blokes, someone that not a lot of people are considering is Finn McGuinness from the Hawthorne Hawks. He's 279 grand, which is still only a break even in the 30s, and it's tough to cough up for him at the start of the year. He only played one game last year, but even in reduced quarters, he scored 39 points, 10 touches, and both of those aren't great numbers, but he did manage five tackles, which is worth noting. He might be someone that benefits from Tom Scully's immediate retirement. Obviously, we've talked about how Will Phillips, uh, rather, Will Phillips, Tom Phillips, rather, talked about how Tom Phillips, the new Hawk, will benefit from Scully and Smith leaving. Speaking of Smith, it's actually worth noting that Finn McGuinness, in his first preseason ever, actually beat Isaac Smith in the time trial. So he is a bit of a time trial kin. He's a fit dog. Will he get the games for the Hawks? Hopefully. Again, 279k, is tough and a weird price to slot into your midfield rotation, but I'm not ruling out McGuinness, and I'm going to have a close eye on him in the Marsh... Uh, no, not Marsh Community Series, the Amy Community Series. I don't know why they keep changing the fucking name of that each year, but shout out to the sponsors of the uh, AFL preseason. Couple of basement blokes that'll cost you 170k, maybe to slot into your bench. I want to talk about Jackson Mead from Port Adelaide first. Don't know a ton about him, and I... Oh, you probably don't know a ton about him, and I don't expect Port Adelaide to filter a lot of rookies through, but Mead has played quite a bit of sandful during his time with the power. He is a father-son pick at Port Adelaide, and he's bounced between the league and reserve sides. He's generating plenty of buzz as a round one bolter. Hopefully he gets to play early. I do wonder if he can slot in and have similar success to the likes of Connor Rosie and Zach Butters and Xavier Dersmal, all those guys in their rookie season went on to be real important fantasy cash cows. Hopefully, Mead can get enough games to do the same thing for us coaches this year. Last cab off the rank, Nick Shipley from the GWS Giants. He's played just two games since being drafted, but he was drafted back in 2017, and both of those games came in 2018. He could do a similar thing to what Jackson Haightley did and play maybe six to eight games throughout the season and be kind of a depth piece in the midfield for the Giants. Maybe even lock down a regular spot. We'd love to see that. He is also generating a bit of buzz out of GWS's camp this preseason. So 
If those guys, Mead and Shipley, are named in round one, I definitely justify picking them. And if they look like they're going to do the right thing in the Amy Community Series, in this pre-season setup, and they get a lot of game time, then I can see why people will be picking them and plugging them into your bench spots. And that is another Fantasy Friday wrapped up. Like I said, a bumper AFL Fantasy section chewing through a lot of the midfielders. Again, if you haven't already, a couple of those blokes are in that uh, mid-pricer value article I've already discussed, but go through and check out the whole list I covered. Tried to create an all-22. I did six backmen, eight midfielders, two ruckmen, and then dove into six forwards. I might unpack, might unpack some of the other blokes on the Sunday sit-down this week with JLo. Again, a light fantasy schedule and a light Sports by Fry schedule posting-wise, but I do have my last deck of DT piece coming up on the 17th, where I'm looking at none other than Nat 5. So next Fantasy Friday, obviously, I'll talk about the Defenders. Might even wrap up some of those uh, Dream Team Talk articles as well. Once again, though, thanks for tuning into this podcast. Till next time, 